Today's installment of Connect the Dots is called Peacemaking. Tell the person next to you, Peacemaking. Someone on our team this week was telling me that there's actually a DC character called the Peacemaker, but um, I guess he kills people to make peace. So that is not what we'll be talking about today. This is a different kind of peacemaking. Speaking of DC, I went to see the Batman on Friday night. Did anybody go see Batman? A couple of you, okay. I went to the late show at 9.30 with some friends and my husband, and guys, that's a three hour long movie. So after two hours, I was feeling like everything in the story was pretty resolved, and so I fell asleep. <laughs> and then I woke up at the very end to somebody being on masks. I was like, oh, I missed a lot. <laughs> but it was a great movie, one of my husband's all-time favorites. So fun. We're not talking about Batman or the Peacemaker. We're talking about peacemaking. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That's the short version. The extended cut, the director's cut says, Blessed, spiritually calm, with life joy in God's favor, are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they will express his character and be called sons of God. I love that. When we are peacemakers, when we're people who make and maintain peace, we are like Jesus. We are sons of God. We're expressing God's character we're producing right relationships in every area of life. We're reconciling people to God, and we reconcile people with each other. We are blessed when we do that. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, when you're a peacemaker, you're achieving the highest good. You're not trying to make everybody happy. When you're doing that, you're, a peacemaker pursues long-term wholeness, not temporary approval, because then we're called sons of God. You experience a blessing when you're a peacemaker. This is an active thing. It's not passive. It's not glossing over problems, acting like everything's fine when it's not. James 3.18 says, Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers take initiative. They plant seeds. How many of you are gardeners? Some of you all are getting ready to plant seeds. You probably ordered your seeds. You're probably planning, like, where do I want to put this and that? What do I want to put next to each other? You're getting supplies. You're planning your land. You're intentional. Planting is intentional. And there are places in our lives where we can be just as intentional with peacemaking this week. So as we talk about peacemaking, the first thing I want to show you is what peacemaking is not. First point today is peacemaking is not absence of conflict. Peacemaking is not absence of conflict. People think, well, Jesus said, be a peacemaker, so I shouldn't have an opinion about anything. I shouldn't rock the boat ever. Just stuff everything. Go with the flow, you know, meek and mild Jesus, you know, peace. Actually, sometimes peace creates conflict. Ephesians 4.15 says, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Jesus. When we speak the truth in love, we are like Jesus. That doesn't mean truth with no love, just straight on lots of truth. That doesn't mean love with no truth, just loving everybody but not helping anyone. When you're speaking the truth in love, you're strategic about when you're doing that. You're not speaking truth in the heat of the moment when your heart is offended because you can't give away peace then. You give away frustration. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can't calm someone else's temper if you've got a battle going on. So peacemakers look for when to speak truth 
with love. That means confronting an issue and not tearing down a person, not making things personal, separating the do from the who, knowing that what people do is not who they are, knowing that people make mistakes, but mistakes are not who they are. And just because someone hurts you, it doesn't mean they hate you. Peacemakers also talk about how they feel, not just saying, you did this, this is wrong, how dare you, but when you do this, it makes me feel this way. For example, when you don't pick up your clothes, it makes me feel stressed. Or how about, you may have no, not have noticed, but when you make jokes about me in front of other people, it makes me feel devalued. When you tell people how you feel, you're helping them to empathize with you, to get in your feet and understand where you're coming from. Maybe you would say to someone, when you raise your voice, I don't feel safe. Or when you lie about little things, it makes it hard for me to trust you. When you check your phone at the table, I feel like our family isn't a priority. And we don't just speak the truth in love for correction. We do that to build each other up, too. Maybe today you need to speak to someone and say, when you do the dishes at night before bed, man, I feel loved. Or the way you talk to me feel, it makes me feel so safe. Or when you put your phone away, as soon as you get home, I feel like I'm a priority in your life. Who do you need to speak the truth to in love today? And speaking the truth in love isn't just about other people. It's also taking ownership of what we do. Peacemakers apologize when they're wrong. I know that's hard to do. We like to be right. I love to be right. But it's even better to apologize when you're wrong. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you can be healed. When you apologize, when you own a mistake, then you can be healed. It's hard to recognize sometimes our mistakes. It's so much easier to see other people. But remember that who you are is not what you do. And every person makes mistakes. There's so much freedom to just say, I am sorry, and learn from our mistakes. So you might say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that thing about your mom. I won't do it again. Or, I'm sorry. I'm going to put my phone away. Or, I'm sorry for making you feel that way. Who do you need to say sorry to today? And when you're thinking of an apology, don't couple it with an excuse. If you're going to do that, it's not apologizing at all because you're not actually sorry. You're justifying. You're saying, well, I had to do that thing because of you. No, just own your mistake and say sorry. There's so much freedom and healing that comes for you from that. Come on. Everybody makes mistakes, and we apologize for them. And then there are places where we need to ask forgiveness because we did something intentionally that missed the mark. We did something intentionally that hurt someone. So you might need to say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me for lying to you? We say sorry for accidental things, and we ask for forgiveness for choosing wrong things. So my son and daughter, they're four and seven, and they love to wrestle and when they wrestle, sometimes it gets crazy and they bump into each other and like, ah, oh, I'm so sorry that we just did a headbutt that hurt so bad. But sometimes when they're wrestling, they get frustrated. And my son has a tendency to just be like punching his sister in the face. So when that's intentional, you want to ask for forgiveness then. So I'm sorry we bumped into each other and will you forgive me for punching you in the face? <laughs> So maybe for you it would be, I'm sorry I made you feel devalued when I told that joke. I didn't even realize I was doing it. Versus, 
Will you forgive me for checking my phone at the table again, even after we've been over this? Embracing conflict and apologizing are two ways that we can be peacemakers. And if you never have conflict, if you never work through things, if you avoid issues instead of facing them, that's not peacemaking, that's called people-pleasing. And it may keep peace in the short term, but it will cause a blow-up in the long term. It looks like peace on the outside, but it leads to turmoil on the inside. That's why you could be talking to somebody about an issue, and they just completely overreact. They blow up, and you're like, what is happening? You're probably talking to them about the issue and the 10 other things which were never resolved. So if you and your spouse are fighting about the dishes, you're probably not fighting about the dishes, if you know what I mean. The dishes are the things in front of you, but it's just the tip of the other things that you need to talk about. If your coworker is always passive, aggressive towards you, it might mean that they have some unresolved things that they're working through. And what you're seeing is just the fruit of a much deeper root. With our kids, it's really easy to see. You know, if they throw a toy or get mad about a TV show, it's like, what is this actually about? Because you can't be that upset about something so small. Moses had a problem with people-pleasing in Exodus 4, and God had just talked to him from a burning bush. It was incredible. It's like, wow, this bush is on fire. It doesn't burn up. This place is holy. And God told him, I want you to go to Egypt and set my people free from slavery. I've chosen you. And it's like this huge, defining, amazing moment in Moses' life. So Moses gets his family, and they start going to Egypt because they're going to deliver God's people from slavery. And Exodus 4.24 says, It came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Wait, what? God said, go to Egypt and set my people free. And then he changed his mind or something, and he wanted to kill him? What's going on? Well, there's not a lot of context to this passage, but scholars believe that God had asked Moses to circumcise his family, and his wife objected. Circumcision mattered because in those days, it was a sign of the covenant between God and men. Guys, don't worry, we're under a new covenant because of the blood of Jesus, so it's not a thing anymore. But Moses' wife was probably horrified, like, you're going to do what to my babies? No, you're not, Moses. And instead of being a peacemaker and speaking the truth in love and talking to his wife about doing the best thing for their family, Moses chose to be a people pleaser. He's thinking, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So we're just going to obey God all the way, except for this one area. It'll probably be fine. He'll understand. And he puts his wife's happiness before their obedience to God. And his actions have consequences. So God intervened by almost killing Moses to get him back on track with his purpose. I mean, their journey to freedom had just begun. Moses hadn't even talked to Pharaoh yet. He's about to face Pharaoh. There's going to be all these plagues. He's going to demand that God's people be let go. But if he can't even talk to his wife, how's he going to stand up to Pharaoh? So God's about to kill Moses, and Zipporah takes action. So here we go. It's a little graphic. Exodus 4.25. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet. I know, intense. And said, surely you are a husband of blood to me. So God let him go. Then she said, you're a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Sorry for all the foreskin talk today. Aren't you so thankful for Hope Kids? I love legends. I love dreamers, champions. Our kids have the best experience right at their level. And they have so much fun learning about Jesus. Come on. 
So Zipporah did what God had asked Moses to do. She saves Moses' life. And then she's mad. She's even more mad at Moses than she probably was in the first place. You're a husband of blood. That seems very angry. So when you're worried about pleasing people, you always lose. Either you lose now or you lose later. It would have been better for Moses if he just had that hard conversation with his wife before God tried to kill him. Not to mention that he almost forfeited his destiny to please one person. He was so dependent on one person being happy, on the investment he was making in one person over a whole nation, because that investment affected his comfort. I mean, nobody wants to make their wife upset. He almost let that one relationship, though, limit the impact that he could have on thousands of people. God had just spoken to him from a burning bush and said, you're going to set all these people free, and it's going to be this huge thing in history. And Moses almost missed it. And that's true for us, too. Maybe your spouse, friend, coworker, or kids, if you want them to like you more than you want to serve them, then you will lose every time. And so will they. The people around you lose when you please them. If you put comfort over growth, you'll lose every time. You won't be comfortable and you won't grow. And some of you are facing a hard decision right now and you're afraid to do it because of what people might think. But the difference between where you are now and where God wants you to be is the decision you're unwilling to make. I want to tell you today, stop putting it off. Hard decisions only get more difficult with time. Do that thing you know you need to do even if no one understands. They may never understand. Do the right thing and trust God with the results. If you're afraid of what people think, Proverbs 29, 25 says, you are in a people-pleasing trap. It says, fear of man will prove to be a snare. It will snare you. It will keep you stuck. It will steal time from you, energy, focus, because you can't make everybody happy. You make them happy for a time, but then it's a moving target. Jesus was perfect, and still people rejected him. So if Jesus didn't make everybody happy, man, you can't make everyone happy. And honestly, not everyone should be happy with you. If you're making everyone happy, you're also making some of the wrong people happy. If you're making everyone happy, you might not be happy with yourself. Some people will try to pressure you into being who they think you should be. And they might have really good intentions, but they're not God. They didn't create you. They didn't breathe life into you. They didn't equip you, empower you, or anoint you. They can't see your future. God is the one who created you. Come on. He has good plans for you, plans to prosper you, and give you a future that's incredible. When I graduated college, my dad was super proud of me, got good grades, all that. Then I went into a ministry job that paid zero dollars. And he was a little bit disappointed. I just loved Jesus so much, I felt like I couldn't breathe if I wasn't serving him with everything that I had. So for years, about five years, he would visit me weekly at work, and he would save job advertisements for me. And he would say, I don't know if you saw this, but here's a great job that you're very qualified to do. And it was so sweet. He meant well, but if I had lived my life to please him, I would be so miserable right now and missing out on what I was created to do. And eventually he came around and totally supported me in you know, what God had for me. But if you change with every criticism, you'll miss out on what you were created for. 
You can't keep every person happy. You can't make everyone like you. And you'll never win over all your critics. And you don't have to. The rest of that verse says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. So the imagery in this whole verse is talking about birds. It's saying, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, like a fowler's snare, what they use to catch birds. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And the word for safe here is flying inaccessibly high, out of harm's way, unreachable, untouchable, above every circumstance, unable to be trapped by people. So you can fear man and be trapped and limited, or you can trust God and be above everything that's trying to hold you back. Take advice, listen to counsel, and value opinions but you might have to disappoint a few people to reach your God-designed destiny. And that's okay. You can't be a people pleaser and reach your potential. You can't be a people pleaser and reach what God has for you. And people pleasing can take a lot of different forms. Maybe you can relate to some of these. If you're always worried about what other people are thinking about you, if you're thinking, what am I going to say to that person? How will that conversation play out? Or you're looking back at all your conversations from the day, then you're people-pleasing. Most people are not thinking about you because they're thinking about themselves. If you're the first at work and the last to leave every day because you want to look good to your boss, you're people-pleasing. We want to set you free today and say, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to get value from that. If you take criticism personally or you're afraid of rejection, you can learn to find your approval in God today instead of people. It's so freeing. If you can't say no to people, if you overcommit, or if you compromise when you know you shouldn't, you can set up healthy boundaries today. When I was in college, I took a remedial public speaking course. It was for all the scared people. So we were all like, I hate this. And whenever I would stand up to speak, I would actually pass out, which is crazy, I know. But what's the difference between me now and me then? I'm not worried about what people think. I have new beliefs because of Jesus. Just one mindset shift unlocked my potential. Come on. Moses was afraid of what people would think. When God told him to go to Egypt, he said, what if they don't believe me? And God gave him some signs. He's like, okay, if you throw it on your staff, it becomes a snake. They'll believe that. And then he said, put your hand in your jacket. He brought it back out, and it was covered with leprosy. Put it back in, and it was healed. He's like, there you go. Here's some signs. Here's some proof. They'll be fine. Uh, Exodus 4.10 says, then Moses said to the Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. He says, God, I stutter. I don't know if you know this, but I'm not good at talking. And I love how God responds. He's like, I made your mouth. I'll be with you, and I'll teach you what to say. You don't have to know everything or do everything perfectly. And Moses replies, can you send someone else? And God's like, okay, fine. I'll send your brother Aaron. He'll go with you. He'll be your mouthpiece. But Moses limited what God could do through him because he was afraid of what people would think of him. So God sent Aaron but Moses was God's plan A, which was a great opportunity for Aaron. But that's what God had for Moses. Moses missed out because he didn't believe who God said he was. 
And point two for you today is that peacemakers live from the approval of God instead of for the approval of people. We live from the approval of God instead of for the approval of people. God was saying to Moses, I believe in you. I made you. I know what I put in you. I'll go with you. But if you don't believe what God says about you, you'll be looking for people's approval. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2.4, we speak as those approved by God. We're not trying to please people, but God. We're approved, so we don't have to please people. When you get your approval from God, you have nothing to prove. Then you can make and maintain peace. Come on, when we value humans' approval rather than God, we miss out on life. We put value on things that aren't going to help us, that aren't going to satisfy us, because we're looking for the wrong things. Your worth is not based on what anybody thinks about you, but it is based on what God says. Come on, and he believes in you more than you believe in yourself. My son Ryder is four, and one of the things that I like to do with him before he goes to bed is say, who is my handsome boy? And he gets a big smile on his face, and he's like, me. And then I say, who is my strong boy? And he makes a muscle, and he's like, me. And I'm like, who is my special boy? And he's like, me. He knows what I see in him, so he doesn't have to believe anything else. So if he's arguing with his cousin, and his little cousin's like, I don't like you, which is very mean for little children, he says, my mom says I'm special. You can't convince him he's not special because he knows the truth of who he is. When you know who you are, nobody can make you believe that you're not it. This backfired on me a little bit yesterday because I heard him saying to his sister, I'm a genius. I know everything. So next we're going to teach him, who's my humble boy? <laughs> me. But just like my son knows who he is because of what I say about him, we know who we are because of what God says about us, because of what our Father says about us. And because of Jesus, the Bible says you are a new creation. You are forgiven. You're made whole. You're clean. You're guilt-free. You're more than a conqueror. You're a masterpiece. He says you're the light of the world. You're filled with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You're going to do greater things than him. You're an ambassador. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You are loved. You are a peacemaker. When you're approved by God, if people don't understand you, it's okay. If you lose some friends because you won't let them control you, they were never your friends in the first place. You don't need people's approval when you're approved by God. And that frees you up from being self-focused to serving other people. And point three today is that peacemakers serve people and set boundaries. Peacemakers serve people and set boundaries. Jesus told a story in Luke 10 about a man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was mogged, mogged, mugged. <laughs> I don't know what mogging is, but it doesn't sound good. <laughs> this is the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, so the, the robbers stripped him, they beat him, they left him for dead, and it says a priest walked by, and he actually was like, ooh, gross, and went to the other side of the road and just left him there. And then a worship leader walked by, and he did the same thing. No thanks. And finally, a Samaritan, um, someone who was an enemy of their people, he went up to the man, 
And he healed his wounds. He bandaged them. He got him up on his donkey. I mean, he's probably like really gross. And he's like, okay, you can be on my donkey. And he took him to an inn. And he took care of him. The Samaritans served that guy. Now, if any of his buddies would have seen him doing that, they would be like, uh, what are you doing? We don't associate with those people. We're Samaritans. But he wasn't living to please them. He was living to serve people. Some of you, your family doesn't understand why you get up early on a Sunday morning when you could be sleeping in to come serve people at church. You're not living for their approval. You're a peacemaker here to serve people. Come on. And one day they're going to see your life being changed, just like all those stories, and they're going to come with you. Maybe to other people, it doesn't make sense how you keep serving that person at work. I mean, no one talks to them. They're just so hard to get along with. But you don't need to justify yourself. You'll reap a harvest of goodness if you don't give up. You're a peacemaker. It's not normal how you're helping those people who hate each other at school. I mean, you're not even involved in their altercation. But you're here to please God, not men. You're here to help reconcile people. And Luke 10.35 says, On the next day, when the Samaritan departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. I love this. The Samaritan went out of his way to serve that person. And then when he was okay, the Samaritan continued on with his journey. He made sure he was provided for, and he kept going with his mission, with his purpose, with what God had for him. And we talked about empathy in week one of this series and how it is stepping into someone else's feet. And there's a point where if you step into someone else's feet and it becomes your pain, then you make it about you. If serving them becomes the focus of your life, you're drifting towards people-pleasing. If you take on everybody's issues and they become your issues, you're people-pleasing. Instead of helping them, you're enabling them. I love that the Samaritan continued on his journey. If he had stayed, he may have missed out on important business. He might have been resentful. He might have been angry. He might have missed something that he actually needed in his life. Maybe the injured man said something to him like, you can't just leave me. I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. How's Jesus going to use you? You're abandoning me. But the Samaritan set up healthy boundaries. He didn't care what people thought of him. We already know that because he's serving the wrong guy. But boundaries are a good thing. Kids feel safest when you give them boundaries. If kids are outside playing in a yard, they feel so safe when there's a fence and they know where to go. It's hard to figure out what are the boundaries? What can I do? It's so loving to say, these are the boundaries. And then there's freedom in that. Boundaries show that you care. I hope we have an attitude. It's called inside the box. And we talk about how the box is the vision. And the vision is that everyone would experience God, discover the hope that only comes from Jesus, and have their lives changed. And because of that boundary, we can have unity around one vision. Those boundaries set us up to win. Boundaries are good. The Samaritan was willing to say no to what was in front of him to prioritize something greater. Peacemakers serve people and set boundaries. They say no when they say it is, need to say no, and they say yes when they need to say yes. 
You might need to set some boundaries with people in your life today to serve them even more than you have before. Let me just tell you as well that you don't need to set boundaries with God because he protects you. Nobody can please everyone, but you can please God. Not by being perfect, but simply by trusting him in faith. Our last verse today is Hebrews 11:6. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. So believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, that he rewards people, that he cares about people. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And all we do to please him is just belief. That's it. I love how when Jesus was just starting his ministry before he had done any miracles, God said over him, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He was pleased with who he was before he did anything. We believe and then we become who he created us to be. When you believe in him through Jesus, he is so pleased with you. And he gives you peace that passes all understanding. He gives you peace that's eternal. Peace that's not based on circumstances, but on Jesus so that you can be a peacemaker. Not by being perfect, but by trusting him. And right now I wanna give you the opportunity to put your faith in Jesus. Maybe for the very first time, or maybe you walked away from him and you wanna recommit today. He's the Prince of Peace. And he helps you make peace in all of your relationships. You can't give away peace if you don't have peace. And peace comes from knowing Jesus.